0: On this week's episode of Let's Talk Tennessee, we set the realities families face today against possibilities of better tomorrows. Is Tennessee turning a corner? You decide. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to Let's Talk Tennessee. Today is Saturday, January 27, 2024. And this is episode 12. I am Jackie Canseer, State Chair for the Tennessee Chapter of National Council on Severe Autism's National Grassroots Network. This is an exciting week, and we've got quite a bit of good news to share with you. Dare I ask, are we experiencing a shift in Tennessee? Before we take a dive into the news and what might be coming ahead, let's compare it first to how things have been. I want to start off this week by discussing a video that's gone viral recently. I'll have the link in the show notes so that you can watch this video in full But this video initiated on TikTok and then found its way to Facebook and between the two platforms has well over 50 million views at this point. So it has gone viral. And because so many people have seen it, I think that it's important that we talk about it in this video, a very young man, he is very young, but he has grown into an adult-sized body and is much larger than his mother. And this is a situation we see quite often. Now let's talk about what happens in this video. This young man is perseverating on Applebee's. Perseverations are obsessions. It's like fire that gets stuck in the mud or a record that is just skipping and It's getting obsessed and pinpointed on one word, one phrase, or one topic that you cannot pull that individual off of that one thing. No matter what it is you say, no matter what it is you do, it doesn't seem like you can pull them away from that one hyper-focused topic, that one obsession. And so he wants Applebee's store, Applebee's store. And this mom is trained. This mom has experience in this clearly through the video and she handles it very well and avoids an escalation. The way that this mom handles it de-escalates the situation and keeps this what we call behavior managed. This is not a behavior crisis because. This young man has appropriate support in his parent caregiver to address this situation. If this young man would have been in the care of somebody who did not have training in appropriate behavior interventions, who did not have training in how to verbally deescalate, who was not aware of how people in this special population commonly have challenging behavior symptoms, if he was in the presence of somebody who mistook his behaviors as violence or intent to harm, if they tried to use too many words if they tried to strong arm him there's so many ways that this could have gone very very badly but because he's with appropriate support this doesn't escalate into something that requires police interaction or hospitalization or anything else also important to note with people who demonstrate these types of behavior symptoms They're often involuntary. It is not a reflection of their moral character. It's not a reflection of poor parenting. It has nothing to do with any of that. These behaviors are often in direct contrast to somebody's actual personality. It is an involuntary symptom of a disability. It requires specialized support, and that support might be missed during this video. So I want to show you what I noticed of this mom that she did right. And a lot of people might miss it because it seems so simple. But let me tell you, when you're in that situation, it is not your instinct to remain calm. It is not your instinct to be able to disengage in those kinds of situations that requires specialized training so that you have the right skill set and mindset when these situations arise. So at the very beginning of the video, we hear him talking about Applebee's and Applebee's just isn't an option right now. We often come across that if our child wants it snow and it's July in the South, well, That's probably not going to be an option right now. So it's not that parents just want to tell their kids no. Oftentimes what they're asking for is just not an option. And what do you do then? So right away at the beginning of the video, we see that the young man is distressed. He's wanting Applebee's and he reaches in and pulls mom's hair from behind her neck. Applebee's door can't have Applebee's. No cash. <laughs> she disengages. She is able to break free from that situation while remaining calm, while not escalating the situation, and while not harming him in the process. She's safe. He's safe. She was disengaged. <laughs> like a... Applebee's store. She limits the use of her language. This is an important factor as well because when somebody is getting upset like that, oftentimes verbal skills are one of the first things to tank off. You can have hot dog, pancakes, or pizza. And so if you throw a lot of language at somebody, a lot of choices, a lot of words, it's only going to escalate the situation. So limiting the language. She she narrows it down to two to three choices at a time. Then she allows him time for processing and to think about the choices and respond. And she's remaining calm this entire time. When her two to three verbal choices don't work, she pulls out a visual chart that she has again with limited options. Do you? Oh no. What which one do you want? No. And she tries that. And when that doesn't work. Then she realizes maybe she doesn't have the function correctly here. Maybe he's not asking for Applebee's because he's hungry. Maybe he's asking for Applebee's because he wants to go do something fun and he's bored. Oh, no. Okay, are you hungry or bored? Maybe he's not understanding the concept of bored right now. Let's try a different route to that. Are you um, hungry? Mm, mm, yes mm, or no? Mm, or do you want to do something fun? No. And sometimes there isn't a rhyme or reason to this. Sometimes we just don't know what really has caused the behavior to emerge. Sometimes it has nothing to do with anything that's currently actually going on in the environment or things that they want access to. Sometimes they might have an infection like a UTI or a sore tooth or constipation. Constipation is a huge one that often triggers behaviors. But the point is, is that there is a huge algorithm here of what could possibly be happening and causing the behavior episode, but the parent is in the midst of it in that moment. And they're having to remain calm and they're having to try to deescalate the situation. And they're also in that process trying to figure out what the cause of the situation is so that they can actually truly address it for their child. Throughout the entire video, mom remains calm. She's able to disengage whenever he does contact her physically. She keeps her voice calm. She limits her options for her language. She tries visual communication. She's eventually able to put a safe distance between her and her son as she continues to de-escalate. This overall was a really good demonstration of how to appropriately de-escalate a situation where somebody is experiencing severe, challenging behavior symptoms. We are the first generation of caregivers that are regularly doing this in our homes. In past generations, it was nearly unheard of that parents would be providing this level of care in their homes, well into adulthood, and they want to be. They feel blessed to be. But a lot of times parents feel like they can't do it. They feel like their child needs more than what they could provide. And yet, they're unable to access any kinds of supports. The real rub is that if their child didn't require such high levels of support, then they'd have access to more options for community integration. They'd have more options for access into the healthcare system. And yet, because their children need more support, they're often left with no support. It's something that just doesn't make sense to anybody involved. And so we ask ourselves over and over, why is this being allowed to happen? How is this happening in America? Why can't our children access the types of supports and services that they need? Why do people act like we are speaking Martian whenever we try to describe the types of symptoms that our children have? There are conditions where severe challenging behaviors like this are just a part of life. They are intractable, involuntary symptoms of disability. They require specialized support. Supports as they exist today, such as those in the ECF Choices Waiver, would not be appropriate for this young man to be able to access his community. If he doesn't have the supports and he's bigger than mom, how is he gonna access his community? It means he's not being serviced correctly. This is an unmet need. This is where the health disparity lies. This is the population who's been left behind. This is where we've been. This is where we are. This is where the bias and the misunderstanding come from, right? People who don't live this life don't understand that video. It's jarring to them. People that live this life, they're like, I'm glad she posted that sharing what our everyday looks like. So that's been our struggle with as an organization. We we really want to encourage families to be able to share their lived experiences. We recognize that the community needs to be more well informed about our children so that they can make a space for them. We believe that if people know better, they'll do better, like Maya Angelou said. So we want our children to be known. But so many families are still so scared to speak up. They'll pour their hearts and souls out to us and we thank them for that. But we want to do more than just listen. We really want to start knocking down some barriers for these families. And how do we do that? Well, we've been developing a report of our findings and our recommendations, but I'm happy to say that even though the report's not finished, it's going to take longer to come out because now we have to go back and revise it. And we're gonna to have to cut some things just to prevent redundancy because changes are actually, I think, happening. I feel a shift in the state, I feel a shift in that bias, I feel a shift in that stigma. I feel like the state is making room for this special population. I did attempt to have the podcast out yesterday. I recorded it, I ran into some tech issues, and so I'm re-recording it today with the correct date. But that is why part of this podcast, I might be wearing something different than in other parts of the podcast. The news this week isn't going to bring the staffing services or relief to your door tomorrow that you need. As I tell you what's going on, though, ask yourself if a year ago, two years ago, you'd have believed these things would be happening in Tennessee. Do we have a lot of work to do still? A resounding yes. Has the ideology shifted, meaning we're headed in a different direction now? You tell me. Yesterday, Jeff Strand of the Tennessee Disability Coalition posted this video announcing SJR 848. I'll put the card above so that you can watch the video in full. The Disability Coalition and Tennessee Justice Center have been working on this for months. They held family-focused groups, they listened to your experiences, and they took action. Senator Yeager of District 12 introduced the resolution on Monday, and it passed on the first consideration on Wednesday. I'll link in the notes to the assembly page for the resolution so you can follow it. This resolution urges the state and TennCare, specifically long-term services and supports known as LTSS, to develop a comprehensive statewide paid family caregiving policy and program by January 2025. Does this mean that we will have paid family caregiving in Tennessee by this time next year? Highly unlikely. What this does is signal to the state and Tancare that our legislators support us and want this program. There's a host of variable outcomes and possibilities and timelines that I'm not gonna get into all today, but realistically, we should buckle in for another two years of advocacy work still left ahead of us. This effort isn't over. It is not time to stop advocating about the need for this. If anything, if you've been hanging back, afraid to step forward, Take this as a sign that the legislators do want to listen to you, that your voices do matter, that they're making an impact. When we ask you to participate in action campaigns in 2024, we hope you'll feel encouraged by this news to share your specific experiences. Our goal is that every one of the legislators in both the House and Senate has at least one face and story to help guide them in supporting issues like this. You are not in a forgotten corner now. There are big state organizations and the General Assembly pushing for solutions that impact your family. And they're putting efforts in writing that tell the world they see you, that you provide a meaningful service to your children, and that your work is worthy of dignity and compensation. Maybe it's just me, but I really believe that this is a pivotal moment in our state. For those who need a little more convincing on the collaborative efforts to end the disparities that our children are experiencing, The Statewide Planning and Policy Council for the Department of Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities is creating a targeted focus committee specific to behavioral health to help drill down into what actions DIDD could possibly take to end the health disparities of the subpopulation. The East Planning and Policy Council has had a committee going for more than a year now that has been specifically focused on addressing service gaps and unmet needs for our children. Let me tell you something amazing about these meetings. Yes, there are parent caregivers in them who provide invaluable insight from direct experience, but they're not at the table alone. Sitting right along with them are people who do not live this life. People who had no idea before hearing the direct accounts. People who meet these stories with compassion and empathy and belief. People who give up hours of their lives to join in the efforts for developing solutions. People care. You are not alone. I'm not done yet. Tennessee Disability Pathfinder is hosting a webinar on February 1st, that's next Thursday, for navigating support for dual diagnosis, which is people who have both an intellectual or developmental disability and behavioral health disorder. Autism Spectrum Disorder and Catatonia or Intellectual Disability and Bipolar Disorder or Fragile X and Panic Disorder. These are all examples of dual diagnosis. Dr. Bruce Davis will be the speaker. He is the DIDD Deputy Commissioner of Clinical Services. He also holds $11,400,000,000 other titles leading programs that support people with dual diagnosis. He is the champion of our times in state for this special population. If anyone has answers to navigating the specialized support and services that your child needs, Dr. Davis is likely the one to have them. Look for the link in the notes, mark your calendars, February 1st, 1130 Central. Don't miss it. Thank you, Tennessee Disability Pathfinder, for facilitating this important webinar. And still, I'm not done. Did you know that Vanderbilt has a special clinic devoted to better understanding some of the most challenging cases of neurodevelopmental disorders? It's called MEND, Medical Exploration of Neurodevelopmental Disorders. The director of MEND, Dr. Joshua Ryan-Smith, who is also the director of Neuromodulation Service for Vanderbilt, will be presenting a webinar for us on Tuesday, January 30th. That's in just a few days at 3.30 Central discussing catatonia in pediatric and neurodiverse populations. So go get registered. The link for that's also below. Still not done. Have you heard of the new program in Hermitage yet? Kramer Davis Health is revolutionizing healthcare delivery for people with IDD. They provide a transdisciplinary approach that puts people with IDD in the center of their healthcare. Dr. Matthew Holder, co-founder and CEO of Kramer Davis, will be presenting a webinar for us to introduce Kramer Davis to our community on February 16th at noon central. Use the link in the notes to register and add it to your calendars. Let's listen to Dr. Holder briefly describe the Kramer Davis model on BusinessWire. Kramer Davis is a clinic that focuses on adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, It is a specialty area of medicine that frankly doesn't exist in the United States. It doesn't exist in Tennessee. And the way that we provide it is in a transdisciplinary fashion. So at this clinic, under the same roof, you'll have 10 different healthcare disciplines, medicine, dentistry, psychiatry, behavior analysis, PTOT speech, nutrition. Uh, We'll even add some more as time goes on. And we deliver that healthcare in a transdisciplinary fashion and what that means is that the various disciplines that we have learn from each other, and they're all in communication. So we really close the gaps that exist in the healthcare system for this complex population. Super cool stuff, right? And this is just a taste. I mean, you've got the behavior services survey that Arc did recently. You've got Project Echo autism training and Vanderbilt. And did you catch the legislative panel this week on behavior supports for schools? It was a stellar lineup of Total champions for our kids. Check that on in the show notes below too. Listen, it was bitter cold last week, and this week it's been in the 60s. Temperatures change, hearts and minds change, systems change. It starts with your voice. I hope this episode leaves you feeling a little more hopeful for what's ahead this year. We are having a virtual social on Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern. Just an informal Zoom get together, just connecting other parents who get it to other parents who get it. So bring a favorite beverage, come as you are. The link to the meeting is in our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TNNCSA. Or you can just message us at info at org for the link if you're not on Facebook. But come hang out with us. So what do you think? Do you feel a shift in Tennessee? Let us know in the comments. Hit subscribe so you're notified when new episodes release and we'll see you soon.